Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... It is easy to leave a burning building when it is on fire. But what if that building contains the very thing that gives you life, excitement, peace, joy, courage, and wonder? Will you be an agent of change or do nothing and eventually leave? If you work in Catholic ministry, business, or education and need quality content on your website or social media pages, contact The Simple Catholic for copywriting services at thesimplecatholic.blog and click on the Writing Services page for more information. The Church Militant Needs Soldiers Against the Enemy. Enlist the Simple Catholic in this fight for the truth. Good News Ministries of GNM.org It's the Catholic place for growing your faith. Good News Ministries will provide you with faith-building reflections, virtual retreats, prayer resources, and lots more. All of it is free. Visit gnm.org today. This is the Padua Podcast Network. But it's important. It's see this is this is this is why I said what I said when I said it. If we, especially as Catholic women, as women of faith, Christian women, whatever your faith background, if we don't start speaking about these issues, these difficult things. Thriving in the Trenches. It's the podcast where you will hear stories from real people with real purpose, all for a God who loves us with a real love. The Trenches, where life isn't always easy, but it is a place for women to be encouraged and equipped to uniquely and universally serve Christ in their feminine vocation. So, together, let's go deeper in our faith in God, in His church, and in our friendships. You are welcome here. Welcome to Thriving in the Trenches podcast. This is Becky Carter, and I am your host. Welcome back for another episode. And I'm going to actually try not to talk too long on the front end because this is quite uh, an episode and it's already pretty long. So in honor of your time, I'm going to to try to just give you a little backstory because it is a little different. And my guest and I had a little bit of a hard time connecting just because her schedule is so busy and traveling and speaking and all that good stuff. So we actually had to meet early in the morning. Well, we met over Skype. But she um, she has a little bit of a head start on me because she's on the East Coast. So I think she had more coffee than me if I sound a little groggy. Uh, anyway, well, I, I want to tell you a little backstory of why I reached out um, to my guest. And that was that is Mary Lineberg. Well, it wasn't it was uh, a little bit ago when it was um, NFP week. I think it's a whole week or something. And she posted on Instagram a story. And she was speaking to a different side of the NFP, the typical NFP conversation. And it really struck a good chord with me. It's a hard chord, but it's a good chord. And in this episode, she and I share about some really difficult decisions that we've made, we both made in our married lives and how that affected us and how 
our hearts burn to get out the message, the story, so that others don't make that same choice, even in your most desperate times, to not make that same choice that that we both did in our own marriages. So anyway, I reached out to Mary and we got on our interview really early and right in the middle, my recorder batteries died and we couldn't finish. And I wasn't surprised because, you know, we were really talking about some, as I joke, truth bombs. And I just wasn't really surprised. But I had somewhere to be. Mary had somewhere to be. So we just said, we're going to pray about this and we're going to figure out how we're going to fix it and finish it. So I ran off to mass with my kiddos. And while I was there, just... Lord, how, how are we going to fix this? And uh, asking Courtney to intercede. I know she's the, the little patron of plumbing issues, but I asked her to intercede so that her mom's story could um, be shared with all my listeners. And lo and behold, so I went to the store, got more batteries. I didn't even have batteries. I don't know how I didn't have batteries, but I didn't have any extra batteries. And um, Mary's schedule opened up that morning. Her morning appointment got canceled and we were able to reconnect not too long after we had already gotten started and finish. But it was so long. Well, I, oh, I forgot to tell you in the middle of mass, I'm sitting there. I'm like, Lord, how, how are we going to do this? And I was at that realization that this was going to be two full episodes and that way we didn't have to hurry up and tidy up the conversation and leave out any details. We just came back and really almost just recorded a whole nother episode. So this is part one and it is good and it is heavy and you will feel like you just ate a big fat steak. Okay, maybe that's not a great analogy, but you will, um, you'll be touched. Um, by God's truths and two women being very vulnerable and very real and sharing in the goodness of God's redemptive plan. So if you're not familiar with Mary, I'm going to give you a little introduction and then I'm going to hurry and get you started on the interview. So Mary Lineberg is a full-time author. She's a Catholic speaker And she's given keynotes at conferences across the country, including the Adele Gathering, the Diocese of Grand Rapids Women's Conference, Mary's Mantle Breakfast, and the Northwest Catholic Women's Conference in Oregon. She's a writer with Take Up and Read, and her work has appeared in six meditation books. Her first book, Be Brave in the Sky. Scared uh, was published by Ave Maria Press in May 2019. She's appeared on EWTN's Pro-Life Weekly with Catherine Hadro, as well as several Catholic radio and podcasts, including the Jennifer Fulweiler Show, Hallie Lord Show, Fountains of Carrots, and Girlfriends. Lineberg serves her home parish in many roles, including youth ministry, core, core team member, sacristan, and extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. She and her husband, Jerry, live in Fairfax, Virginia with their son, Jonathan. Their daughter, Courtney, passed away in 2014. So without hesitation, I just want to get us started. Welcome, Mary Lineberg, to Thriving in the Trenches 
podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So I know that we're going to have a blast. And and I know that our listeners are going to um, really be blessed by this conversation. And so before we even get started, what I'd like to do is just introduce them to you, Mary, or actually let you introduce yourself. I kind of like to say this is beyond the bio because I'm already I'm already going to share all that with our listeners. So I'd like for you to share a little bit of what we might not read in print about you. Oh, the challenge. <laughs> so I am Mary Lonneberg. I am a wife of almost 31 years to my husband, Jerry. Um, we were blessed with four souls. Um, you know, we lost two babies to miscarriage, and then we have two children. Our son, Jonathan, is going to be 30 in November, oh. which it's just very hard for me to, the, to pass my lips. And then our daughter, Courtney, um, was with us for 22 years before God called her home. Beyond the bio, I make a wicked chocolate chip uh, pecan cookie. Um, I love to bake. I love to sew. Um, I love to play charades uh, and any extroverted board game there is. Um, I am a broken sinner walking along uh, this path of life with a bunch of other broken sinners. And my true joy in life is to encourage others as we walk together. Hmm. I love that. Um, Okay. Oh, and you said something, and then I just totally lost it. I should have gone for the <laughs> second cup of coffee. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Now, you also love to do some decorating. I do remember you redecorating or painting your living room. I did. I did. Well, first of all, we live in a, in a home that was built in 1969. So you can imagine the layers of wallpaper that you find when you decide to paint a room. <laughs> oh. um, and I just, I found some when I was doing some wall repair. Um, and I thought, okay, I am just um, type A personality enough that that cannot stand. So we peeled it all down and I did... Um, we repainted. It was the first time we had painted in like 11 years. Oh, wow. And so I redid it a year ago. It's been a year since I redid the living room. And now, of course, I'm, I'm itching to start the kitchen and do a bathroom. And my husband just rolls his eyes and he's like, because I have this great energy to start a project, but I get about mm, three quarters of the way through to the finishing touches. And I'm like, I'm tired now. I think I'm done. And that drives him insane. So um, I have to be able to have the energy to see it all the way through. And um, until I'm ready to commit to that, I um, I can't. I'm not allowed. <laughs> I'm not allowed to start. That's in the marriage rules in our house. When I'm ready to go all the way through to the end of the project, um, then I'm uh, then I'm allowed to do it. That's funny. And your husband is military, so I'm sure he uh, has a little bit of that rigidness that comes from the military background of. Oh my gracious, rigid. That is that's a gentle term. Yes. <laughs> this man. Yes. Uh I mean his Instagram name is Grouchy Historian. So I mean that tells you everything you need to know. He is very ordered. He is very uh he's highly intelligent. Um, he likes things a certain way, um, that makes him sound like an awful human being to live with, but he's actually 
just very much um, a prickly bear in the middle is all mushy. Mm-hmm. He's a, a good and honorable man. Funny. So, so funny. And I think that's the, when I think of him, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Those two words, humor and honor. And um, mm-hmm. it's been a privilege to love him for, I've known him for 33 years. So to love him for 30, Aww. at least 32. So. I love that. That's so precious. But you know what? Every time I see his face um, on social media, he's always smiling. Like he's yes. trying to put on a scowl, but you, he can't hide it. Oh, you know, He has it. Trust me. <laughs> trust me. Well. We work in youth ministry at our parish. Ask oh. any teenager if they, get the, if they get the Mr. Jerry stare when they're not making a good life choice. It exists. <laughs> well. It exists. Well, you know what? We all need a good scowler in our life to let us know we're not making good decisions. I'm married yes, to one do. of those. He'll let me know, too. So, um, okay. So, you're an extrovert. Do you really consider yourself an extrovert? Well, I think I'm kind of, um, I'm a little bit, I guess, of a hybrid. I'm not sure what the word is, but I love, I do take energy from other people. But I'm finding as I get a little bit older, I do need downtime after that to kind of recharge. Mm-hmm. So I, there's a there's a hybrid word for that. I'm not sure what it is, but I, I know it exists. Um, so, yes, I am definitely a people person. Um, you do not want me to stay alone in the house for more than 48 hours um, without contact with humans <laughs> um, or I get a little mental. So I, um, I definitely am a people person and I love, I love being with people, all kinds of people. Um, I don't have a specific, I mean, if you were to put all of my friends into one room, I think they would look at each other and go, what are you doing here? I I don't see how she likes you. Like I, I have a very eclectic group of people that I surround myself with. And I think that's it's healthy for me. To, it sort of stretches me mm-hmm. and keeps me from staying in one little box of thinking, of acting, of what I'm exposed to. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's a good one. That's really good. Well, first of all, I, I want, I relate to, I am an extreme extrovert and I definitely, my husband will always say, if you get home really late from wherever you are and he knows I'm going to be all hyped up, he's like, can you just like chill out before you come in the bedroom? <laughs> um, Sounds familiar. Yes, yes. Yes. Especially if I've had any wine, then I'm really jazzed and I'm chatty, chatty, chatty. And he's like, oh my gosh, would you just be quiet? Um, but I think that's such a sp- <clears throat> Oh, but what I was, let me finish my statement. But as I get older, I've really noticed that I want more downtime. I don't, I don't always want to be with people because, you know, they, they can be, it's just hard. It's harder. You have to kind of process. I get tired easier. I used to be like the party, um, thrower extraordinaire, Mm -hmm. but I have a harder time being. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the same way, and now I'm good with a just a smaller dinner party, mm-hmm. like where you can actually have conversation, and and it's not just um, I'm not a popcorn kernel in a dryer, you know, boom, 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 boom. Now it's I feel like as I get older, it's more about intentional conversation mm-hmm. than you know this loud sort of extroverted celebration. Yeah, I have a harder time throwing the big parties. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about fear. 
And (laughs) how that from party to fear. so you have a little book out and it's called Brave and the Scared and you are recounting uh, your life and you have you have dealt with uh, many, many situations. And I've, I've already told you, I haven't had a chance to read the book. And um, so I'm not going to pretend that I have and, you know, that I know what's all in the book. But I, I have followed you on Instagram for long enough that... And I've listened to other stories or podcasts with you in it and you kind of sharing your story. So I feel like I know a tad bit and I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. knowing a little more. But if you want to give our, our listeners just a little synopsis of what was in the book, what drove you to write, write the book and, um, and, and this little word called fear. Oh, fear. Fear has ruled my life. For, I'll be 52 in September. Um, I think it's something that exists in all of us. We just, um, we're afraid of so many different things and we're not even sure sometimes of what it is. So when I wrote Be, Be Brave and the Scared, um, basically it is my spiritual journey. Um, it's my memoir of um, how when my daughter, Courtney, our second child was born, in 1992, she was sort of this earthquake in our life that um, disrupted everything. She ended up having, she was born perfectly healthy. She had her first grand mal seizure on the day of her baptism. And she ended up dealing with grand mal seizures for the remainder of her life. Uh, we gave her a medication when she was seven months old that she was allergic to and we didn't know. And so her brain swelled, her body went septic, and we almost lost her. And the majority of her disabilities that existed for the rest of her life were because of that medication. So we dealt with fear of raising a disabled child. I've dealt with fear of losing a child, having a child die. I've dealt with uh, fear in my own marriage when you have an earthquake of that nature. Everything that you have not been willing to deal with that you just set aside. You're like, no, we're not going to deal with that now. I don't have time. We're not going to deal with that. I don't have the emotional energy. Came bubbling to the surface and we had to deal with it or it was going to swallow us whole. And so we talk about addiction. Um, I dealt with an addiction to food. I I mean, addiction exists always. So I still um, have this addiction. I've been in recovery for 20 years now. Um, So... You know, I had an excuse to to food. My during that time of great turmoil in our life, um, my husband revealed an addiction to pornography, Um, and out of fear, I entered that addiction with him for four or five years, um, which almost destroyed both of us as individuals and our marriage. Um, Praise God, we got ourselves out of that and uh, have been in recovery from that for probably since two thousand. Uh, six so however many years that is um 2007 so uh again it's an addiction that's a woundedness that has existed in our marriage and so we are very very careful now we are very intentional with one another we are very intentional with what we read and what we watch and what we allow into our home um i talk in the book about our son jonathan who had to, um, due to decisions we made earlier in our marriage, I had a tubal ligation when I was 25 um, because we were we had two perfect children at the time and, 
and my husband, I'm Catholic, my husband was not Catholic, and I had very, very, very challenging pregnancies, and he was like, nope, we're not doing this again, and I wasn't a very good woman of faith at the time, and I said, okay, and so we did that, and that affected us. It's still, the ramifications stay with us to this day, because our son is basically, he's alone, you know, he has no other siblings to um, help carry the sorrow of the fact that our 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 daughter Courtney now is with God, and um, he went through a time when he was 18, 19, where he's diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder, specifically survivor's guilt, because he felt he was the strong one out of the children, and if God was going to give someone um, a suffering, it should have been him because he was big, strong, six foot two guy. Mm-hmm. And he didn't understand that God's plan is God's plan. And he allows what he allows for reasons we may never understand. And it's our job just to love the people in our life and to do the best we can on a day-to-day basis. And so he went through a period of four or five years and nobody ever really talks about those two things necessarily in books these days. I, there's there's lots of books out there, uh, encouraging books, good books to help you facing fear, being encouraged in your journey. But this is the first one that I'm aware of, especially by a, a Catholic author, where we talk about porn and marriage, where we talk about addiction, where we talk about depression and anxiety, um, where we talk about the sibling of a disabled person. Um, nobody, these are these are places nobody's ever gone. And so when you say, why did I write the book? I wrote the book because my daughter wouldn't leave me alone. And um, when you have a saint in heaven that's bugging you all the time, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it's hard to escape that. And um, and I just knew um, I had faced so many fears. I had surrendered so many times. And this was kind of another time of surrender. You know, the Holy Spirit kept nudging me. You know, people, they need to hear truth. They need to see that even though you've made some of the most horrific decisions in your life, um, that God can still work through those choices. He works all to the good of those who love Him, and your life is proof of that, and you need to tell people this. Mm -hmm. And um, so, really, that's where it comes from. It just comes from a place of, I want, I just felt called to tell people that we are all sinners, we are all broken, we have all made bad, horrible decisions, we have all faced some really, really hard, hard things, and yet God remains. God remains in that, and that fear that comes up, it is not of God. It comes from the great deceiver, and his, you know, he whispers into our hearts, he whispers discouragement and confusion, and um, God wants us to know that the Holy Spirit remains with us, and he is the great encourager. He is the superhero of encouragement. And so that is who we are to listen to. That is who we are to follow. And that takes surrender. That takes acceptance of your current circumstance. Not that it defines you, but this is the place and season where God has you. And so he is working things out. There is something that he needs from you in this moment of hardship, in this moment of great trial, in this moment of great grief, in this moment of addiction he needs you to let go of something to uh, you know to follow him and allow him to carry you he needs you to persevere in prayer he needs you to persevere in courage 
Um, he needs you to have prudence and fortitude. All of these gifts of the Holy Spirit that exist for us, that exist because of our baptism within us, you know, he needs you to tap into those mm-hmm. and, um, and just pull forth what already exists within you. And so that's where be brave and the scared comes from. You are still going to be scared. You are still going to be terrified. Um, but God wins. He's already won the great battle. And if we surrender to him, then we can walk through whatever that hard thing is and get to the other side and go, I did that. Thank you, Jesus. You were with me. You remained with me. We did that. It doesn't take the fear away. It just means to stand on the truth and the hope of the cross and the resurrection and know that you never, ever, for one breath, walk alone. Mm. You know, one thing I I probably say in every single episode of this podcast is um, that Jesus is the Redeemer. And what that really, like, we hear that all the time, right? Our Redeemer lives. Who is that? Nicole C. Mullen, or is that right? Who sang that song? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard sure. it for years. Our Redeemer lives. Okay, but what does that really mean? You know, one of the scriptures that came to mind when you were you were sharing was to give thanks in all things. Oh, and yeah. and I just think when you're in the thick of it, Mary, can you really give thanks in all things? Or are you cussing and fighting just a little bit? Because I know I cuss and fight just a little bit. Okay, a lot sometimes. But why how 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 can how do you do it? Well, I mean, well, how can all, he even ask us to do it? How do you ask us to do that, Lord? How are we supposed to give we, thanks and all that? Well, because he did. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Um, yes, our Redeemer lives. Yes, we stand on the hope of the resurrection. Yes, God will redeem all things. How does he do that? Well, you have to give it to him first, number one. Okay? When you are standing in the midst, like I'll just give an example. In the middle of the pediatric intensive care unit, and you don't know if your child is going to live or going to die. God is asking you one thing in that moment. He's asking you to take a breath and to be brave for that breath. He's asking you to trust him with the gift that he gave you. Okay, this is the other thing that people don't understand. Our lives and our children do not belong to us. They belong to the God who made us. And so we are asked to to live this life for him and with him and in him. It's even a part of our Mass as Roman Catholics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We say it every Sunday or every day, however often you go to Mass. So do I get mad in the middle of a trial? Darn straight I do. I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Darn straight. (laughs) I am also a very very stubborn, hard-headed woman. But guess what? God made me that way for a reason. He needed me to be strong to advocate for my daughter, to advocate for my son, to advocate for myself in my own marriage. He needed me to be strong to stand next to a man who was just as wounded as I am and to see the truth of him in his heart and work on the hard, hard things to get to a place where we can stand hand in hand and go, we survived that. Yes, we hurt one another. We almost destroyed each other. But we love one another, and we truly know what that love means. Love To love someone means to want the better for them. There's less of you and more of them. Well, that's what God is asking of us, in the, especially in the midst of a trial. My friend Lauren Sharmer says all the time, 
We must praise him in the middle. When we're walking through a trial, when we're walking through a time of waiting, praise him in the middle. Mm-hmm. Be David in front of the in front of the ark. Be him who said, you know, I have been high, I've been low, but in this moment I am still your son. I am still your son. We praise him in the middle and that helps us to get through whatever hard we are facing. For me, the hardest thing I've ever walked through in my life, even more than my own addiction and my own issues of my marriage, is the death of a child. I held my daughter as she took her last breath on earth. I had to give her back to God. I had to surrender her completely back to him. And I had to be okay with it. And trust me, there was a time where I'm not okay with it. And I was mad and I was angry and I was yelling and screaming literally at him. Why, 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 why? You know, why did it have to be her? Well, if it's not her, then who else is it going to be? Do I wish that on somebody else? Right. No, you don't wish that on somebody else. It's her because God needed it to be her on that day at that time. She is full. She is full. She is healed. She is complete. She is running around heaven right now doing all God needs her to do. She's working more now than she did here on earth um, because that's what saints do. Mm-hmm. And I just, um, I feel her presence more now. I miss her physical presence every single day and I will until the day I die and I, by the grace of God, those gates open and I'm, I'm greeted in heaven, you know? Um, but the hard things happen to all of us. And so God is asking us to trust him in that. But here's the thing. You cannot trust someone you don't know. And so we have to get to know him. We have to get to know who he is. And the best way to do that is through scripture, through the sacraments, um, and through quiet time, listening to that still small voice speak to us in our hearts. I, I love that you said that. You can't trust someone you don't know. Yeah. And that's, and that's huge. I, um, I know I can't be the only one who still struggles on a daily basis to really believe. Like, I believe, but do I really believe? Who is it that said, um, I believe, help my unbelief? Is that St. Augustine? I think it is St. Augustine, yeah. yeah. Well, and then and then there's uh, Doubting Thomas, you know, yeah. he was an apostle. Yeah. I mean, he's standing there before Jesus, and he doesn't believe it's Jesus. And, and he's like, I, I hear you, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Here, put your hand in my wound. And he, like, puts his hand in the side of, of Jesus. Like, yes. the wound is still there in the resurrected Lord. So, yeah, we're all, uh, you know, we, we can all be Doubting Thomases. We can all have moments of doubt. But I think God does give us, um, he shows us miracles, like he shows himself um, in other people and through situations where you have to kind of sit for a moment and say, wow, uh, that was totally God because there's no other way that would happen. There's just no other way. Absolutely. And then you have that, you know, then you have that moment of great, like, yes, our Redeemer lives. God is real. This is all, you know, working to the great of his good. This is, and, you know, and then within two weeks, you're like, so, like, I'm not really sure what's happening. <laughs> and, I mean, that, you know, yes. that's humanity. 
that is humanity. And so that's where getting to know him and strengthening those relationship muscles, you know, I trust my husband with my life. I literally trust him with my life. Do I trust God with my life? The same way I trust my husband with my life. Hmm. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, it's, but my husband is human. God is God. He's omnipresent. He's, um, you know, um, he's the one who created us. He's all powerful, all knowing. So you're telling me I'm going to put my trust in a human being who's flawed over God who made me. Isn't that funny how we do that? Every day, sister. Every day. <laughs> and it's because because we're so short-sighted that it's only what we can see, and it's yeah. not um, in the unseen. Okay, so we kind of joked. I said, we're going to name this podcast Truth Bombs Dropped by Your Fairy Godmother. And, yeah, I love being a fairy godmother. <laughs> and so... Um, that includes glitter, right? It has to include glitter. Uh, not at my house, but if you want to dust that fairy... Just can we do like, can we do confetti so it's not glitter and it's just paper that looks like glitter? I don't, may, maybe. You promised to clean it up. If you will clean it up, you can do whatever you want. That's what I tell my I kids. I come with my own vacuum cleaner. Okay. It's a deal. It's a date. It's a date. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Now you off. You're like, no. Now you've got, my anxiety just went up. Uh, my heart rate. No, I'm just kidding. But that is, my kids want to do stuff. I'm like, <gasps> take a deep breath. Play-Doh was always my greatest fear. I'm like, must we do Play-Doh? Oh, yeah. I haven't had Where Play-Doh. It's brown and looks like dog no, I don't want to do Play-Doh. No, thank you. <laughs> oh, my word. And you should meet my oldest. She puts glitter in her nail polish. And she's she is wildly creative. And actually, I've started tapping into her, her um, goodness, her gifts. Because now I get my toe. I get a pedicure from her. She does de- gel nails. And so she does my toes for me. And they last forever. And she does all these cool designs. I know, right? Like, I'm nice. If I've had to clean up your glitter, then I'm gonna. I think that's a pretty decent exchange rate there. I do, I do. She's got good taste too, mostly. (laughs) It's it's evolving, but anyway, okay. So, truth bombs by the fairy godmother, and Mm -hmm. um, the reason I I said the word fairy godmother is because you have um, just a few, maybe several, plenty of godchildren. And okay. as you shared earlier, uh, when you writing about the book, why you wrote the book, and one of those moments was um, you're having a tubal. And mm-hmm. I, when I first heard you share that, it really pricked my heart. You shared it during a time when everybody else was talking about fertility and, and infertility, but... Mm-hmm. The timing of what you said was so poignant that it stuck out. And I was like, okay, I know, Lord, it's time. It's it's totally time. I mean, this is the story. I One of the goals of my podcast or my missions is to have people share their story. Because stories change us they we relate to other people's stories and I did I related Mm -hmm. to you and um something that I have not ever really shared 
personally on our pod on on this podcast is that when um, a year before we were we came back to the church, you know, I fell away for seventeen years, and mm. through walking through that Protestant landscape, um. There were no real teachings on birth control. We had one Baptist Sunday school teacher challenge the class on, you know, how do you feel about this? How do you think about this? And he, he would bring up different topics. And, and one Sunday morning, he brought up the topic of birth control. And at, even growing up Catholic, I'd never really thought of it. And being of a science background, I actually did some research. And all of it was true. Like, could I really be aborting um, mm-hmm. um a fertilized egg, which is what we call a human life. And so anyway, from from fairly early on in our marriage, we stopped using any form of birth control. And um, that lasted, we, we did really well until we had our first child. And then it was like baby after baby after baby after baby. <laughs> and yeah. um, we didn't use the wording natural family planning, but... Um, but we also were living in this tension of can we contracept because we still know a lot of really great Christians who are contracepting and their conscience seems pretty fine with it. And then we kind of meandered into a, a Christian demographic of people who believe in a quiver full, which is where you use no uh, contraception, no natural family planning, think Duggars. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so actually they live in my town. Isn't that kind of funny? Oh, wow. I have Duggar sightings. Anyway, that's very random and <laughs> off topic. But uh, hi, Miss Duggar at Sam's Club. Okay. Um, there you go. Anyway, so I had just had our sixth baby. I lost our fourth one, fifth one, fourth one. Um, was pregnant with our sixth in like eight years. I was exhausted. I was overwhelmed. And I was done. And I felt very sure about that. So sure about that. Funny enough, my husband, who had said he never wanted children, was like, "Mm, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about something being so permanent. Anyway, I won't give all the gory details, but um, after our sixth child, our fifth living, was born, um, we decided to have a vasectomy. And I was so sure of it, so sure of it. He wasn't. And so this is also a little bit of a testimony of a wife trying to drive the ship when she shouldn't be driving the ship and she should be mm-hmm. listening to her spouse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, that Been was about a that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But we, have, we had prayed for 15 years. Lord, can we contracept? Like, what's the answer? We've asked everybody all the wisdom, all the wisdom, um, looking for answers, except for my family, my dad, who was a deacon and of course, knew the church teaching. I rejected him. But that, you know, that's a whole nother story. And um, so a year before we came back to the church with all of her beautiful teachings, <laughs> um, we had a vasectomy. And then, long story short, a couple years later, after coming back into the church, my husband felt very called to fix that, make reparation, and actually repair what we had done physically. Mm. And so um, it's, um, it was, it was quite a journey and um, it took a long time for me to actually be sorry that we had done it because I didn't want more children. And then when 
I realized what we had done and I and I really understood the true meaning of family and children and what all that all the beauty of it. What I wanted more than anything was to have um, God given natural, uninhibited, free intimacy with my spouse with nothing blocking mm-hmm. the way. And um, anyway, we've not had children since. So I guess you call that a secondary infertility (laughs) due to our own choices. But um, it has healed our marriage in a a lot of very beautiful ways. So there's I don't I didn't really mean to give that whole testimony, but. um, But it's important. It's see, this is this is this is why I said what I said when I said it. If we, especially as Catholic women, as women of faith, Christian women, whatever your faith background, if we don't start speaking about these issues, these difficult things, my mom was hyperfertile, and I saw that in my future. She had eight kids in 10 years. She was exhausted. Um, she was turning 40. She was just, you know, looking around like, what do I do? What do we do? What do we do? And this was back in, you know, the 70s. And um, she had a tubal ligation. I didn't know that for many, many years. Um, and when she went to confession and she talked to the priest about it, he said, you've done enough for the Lord. Mm-hmm. You're good. I heard that one. <laughs> and so we've, we have priests that were poorly formed and they don't even know the teachings properly. Mm-hmm. We have very little resources. I mean, there are more today than ever before for women to go um, different methods that exist to help. Um, You know, I hear this word contraceptive mindset. Um, Okay, we could apply that to anything in our life, really. Absolutely. But um, when you're like having that conversation month by month with your spouse, you're like, you know, what is the, the grave issue that exists that we... There, there could be emotional issues, financial issues, physical issues of the of the wife or of the husband. I mean, there's so many different things um, that can be going on, but there's a conversation, you see, and that's the beauty of it, is that you're actually looking at your life right then in that moment, and you're not putting any barrier between you and having another baby except for abstinence. Mm-hmm. And so that that means when you come back together as a spouse, you know, when you come back into that intimate dance, it's free and full. And if God so chooses to bless you, there's a purpose and a reason to that. But um, it 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 helps us with our self control. It helps us with our self discipline. It helps us with our um, acceptance of the beauty of God's plan for our life and and for how He gave us our fertility. Um, and so we must give it back to him and allow him to work through it. And um, it's just so beautiful. The teachings of the church are so, so beautiful. I mean, there's a whole physical aspect, like birth control is a number one carcinogen by the World Health Organization. So if we're going to buy organic meat and organic dairy, <laughs> why would we put a carcinogen in our body? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole scientific thing to that. Mm-hmm. But I know for us, I was 25 years old. I was in the military system, uh, medical system, uh, not a lot of support there for uh, women who um, 
were having difficult pregnancies, difficult anything do with your fertility. Um, I was married to a man who did not want children and he felt very taxed at two. And um, the interesting part is you could see where we were in our marriage at that time. He refused to get a vasectomy. Like he would not do that. And so me being mm -hmm. um, someone who was afraid, fear yet again, that he would leave me with two children, uh, who was afraid that um, I would be alone. If I kind of asserted myself and said, well, wait a minute, you want me to permanently alter, alter my body, but you're not willing to do the same. Um, I mean, it just shows such brokenness in our marriage at the time. And um, I was not willing to take the pill for the rest of my life. I had been on the pill. I was put on it at age 14 or 15 for heavy periods. I had PCOS that was undiagnosed at the time. And um, so my mother, not knowing, you know, the church's teaching, put me on the pill. I was not sexually active at the time. And I was on the pill until I got married. And then I took the pill in between my kids. And it was always like better than my period, but awful. It was still awful. It was not my friend. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I didn't want to take the pill because I knew you shouldn't be on the pill if you wanted a nurse. Like that was clear. Like even mm -hmm. my doctor said that. So, um, and we, for some reason in our minds, like condoms and those types of things, we never even thought of that. Like, no, you can't do that. Like that was totally off limits, <laughs> but getting your two side and, you know, taking the pill weren't. So I so skewed. I mean, there was just so much confusion and so much are so skewed. Yeah. And a week before Courtney had her first seizure, I had my tubes tied and, um, I didn't, I was not thinking with an eternal perspective. I was not, I was thinking in the moment. Mm -hmm. Had we waited probably six months and just dealt with things for six months, I have no doubt because I know where we were six months later, I have no doubt there would be more Lennebergs in the world. And the person that bears the brunt of that decision is our son. Um, I have a distinct memory uh, picture in my head of him with his hand on his sister's casket as he pushes it in the hearse. I can see his face. I can see the grief. I can see the loneliness. I can see the anger. I can see it all. And he bears the brunt of our decision. And that to me is what breaks my heart. That to me is um, what I look out in the world and I say, please, please, just, just for a moment, just for a moment, just breathe, just breathe and be brave in that moment. You know, it, it, yes, it may require you to abstain for a very long period of time. And that is really, really hard within a marriage. I've had periods of abstinence, abstinence within my marriage for medical reasons. And it's just hard. Um, but marriage isn't easy. Intimacy isn't easy. Being a Christian isn't easy. And um, we just, we got to dig in. We got to dig in. To our faith. And, and again, it's all in the knowing. It's all in, do you know him? Do you love him? Do you trust him? God, the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, um, to walk this path. Are you willing to suffer? Because that's what it's all about, mm -hmm. is suffering. I was not willing to suffer when I was 25 years old. Um, suffering came to me in many, many other ways. And I slowly, slowly figured out that um, it was an honor and a privilege to suffer for the Lord because he suffered so beautifully for me. 
um, and my suffering will never equal his. So, um, but it, it was, it was hard. It, it was a destructive moment. It, 10 years later, it took me 10 years to confess that sin and to really understand what I had done. And we had looked into getting it reversed. Um, but the way my tubes were tied, um, typically they either, you know, cut them and tie them or they cut them and solderize them. Mm -hmm. Mine had both cut, tied and solderized. So there was, I mean, it was like as permanent as permanent can be. And there was, even if they had refused, they were both tied. So there was, I mean, it was done. Mm -hmm. And the ramifications of my reversing that um, at 10 years later, um, there were so many complications, ectopic pregnancy, blood clots. Mm -hmm. There were so many other things happening that um, we still pursued it. Insurance at the time, I, my, my getting my tubes tied was covered by insurance 100%. To reverse the surgery mm -hmm. was like twelve thousand mm -hmm. dollars in the year 2000 yeah well and it, we, it hasn't changed in the last you know 15 yeah. years so we um i just uh, as we were going through that process i found a napro doctor and i found a pro-life practice and um as we were kind of considering and they were doing ultrasounds we found um i had fibroids like nobody's business um i had severe pcos and God sort of took care of the answer for us at the age of 35 when I had a calcified fibroid. So it feels hard like a softball, like a baseball. Mm -hmm. It was the size of a softball. It went through my uterine wall. Oh, my goodness. Um, the pain associated with that is next level. And I ended up with a partial hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. And uh, they found all kinds of precancerous situation in my uterus. And had I not had that done, probably within six months to a year, I would have had uterine cancer, which runs in my family. So um, there were all kinds of things that getting a partial hysterectomy saved me from. Um, and there are all kinds of things that I had to walk through emotionally. Um, because at 35, like they're really, you know, you could have this hope in your heart that you can change things. Mm -hmm. But that was the final door that said, no, this is this is the path you're on, and now you have to really trust that I'm going to redeem this, and I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to restore your fertility in the way that I can restore it, which is through God, children, and other families. Mm -hmm. And at least that's how I had it in my mind. That's not church just how I thought of it. And um, and so he did. Hmm. He really, really did. He went. He as usual, God. The generosity of God can never be outdone. It's my favorite piece of scripture. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. It's just, he cannot be outdone. So uh, it began, I had to hit rock bottom. I had to, I had to lay out on the floor like I can't even get up in order for him to begin a healing work in me. And around that time so that was 10 years after i'd had my tubal and around that time is when he began to really really speak truth and i began to listen that's the whole thing so you have to open your heart to listen mm -hmm. yeah and, it's not uh, like he wasn't sorry. he wasn't reaching out to you the whole time it's just that you know oh i bet he was scream i you know <laughs> not that he would scream but i'm sure he was his voice was pretty loud you know like 
Mary, can you hear me? I mean, it's, it's kind mm-hmm. of like in scripture where he says he leaves the 99 to find the one. So. I was the one and he had left the 99 and he was sitting there on, I mean, I'll never forget it. I came home from the hospital and <clears throat> the impact of every decision I had made in regards to my fertility, um, my whole life just landed on me. And I just thought, oh, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? You know, how how could I do that? How could I destroy um, something so beautifully and wonderfully made? And um, the guilt and the, the anger and the fear and, you know, would, I, would he forgive me? Would God forgive me for doing this? Would, would my husband, would we, we'd be, would we be able to find peace about it? Would, you know, how are we going to tell Jonathan? You know, because he would ask, Mom, are we ever going to have any other, you know, like, ever going to have any other kids? You don't really talk about a tubal ligation with a 10-year-old. You know, you just don't do that. So, at least not in my house. And it wasn't until he was 16 or so that we had the conversation. And he just, he was mad for a while. He was like, how, how could you do that, Mom? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, son, <laughs> we all make mistakes. And some of them are permanent. And it doesn't mean I love you any less. It just means I got really scared and did something stupid. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know? Well, I think one piece of that that is not talked about in um, when we talk about making a permanent decision to our fertility, um, I mean, I think a lot of people are very familiar with why we shouldn't use contraception. And I'm not just speaking of Catholic teaching. I'm just, like you said, scientifically, you know, all the reasons why we shouldn't be using contraception. But there are other options out there that, you know, well, it's not hormone based, so this should be fine. Well, you know, whatever it is, whether it's condoms or blah, 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 blah. There's all kinds of ways and um, (laughs) to try to avoid. Um, But what is and and that's I think that for me, I will share, I will say for myself, that was the most comforting part. Well, I am not, you know, hormonally changing my body for um, birth control. So that's really what makes this okay. And but in, but until I learned the truth, I didn't understand the the spiritual ramification yeah. <laughs> of what of what I did to our marriage, what we did to our marriage, and what true, full, fully, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? What true intimacy is in a marriage, and what that yeah. what that has to be. And being open to life is one of them. It and giving your whole self, including your fertility, to your spouse. Um, I've always struggled with the the reality of women being um, objectified in a sexual way. Yes, that's been a wound I've had probably since. Uh, early, early on, just being exposed to different things and being treated by men in different ways, that <clears throat> that reality of being objectified has always been there. And it's a it's a deep wound. And when when we got married, it was like, oh, magically, that kind of stuff should go away. Right. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> 
But when, and this is just one small aspect of marriage and the intimacy in marriage, but when you contracept, and this does happen with um, a permanent solution, you have now uh, made you and your spouse just objects of pleasure. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is some emotional connection, yes, but can you get the fullness of what it is? Um, well, I think your testimony would be different because you've been healed in that way and you've given that over to the Lord. Again, going back to the redemption, but in in my experience, in, in our journey, that part of it was I realized I've objectified our each other mm-hmm. by doing that. And, and, and knowing it, all of a sudden hit me like a two by four and um, I wanted nothing more than to fix it. And yeah. of course that wasn't a hundred percent my choice, but I feel like I'm kind of rambling, but I want to make that point for people who are in, in the trenches and they are dealing with um, lots of hyperfertility or, um, other difficulties, special needs, children, all of those things really do sway our, our our decisions. But to stand in in the truth that the church gives, like she really is wise, and she yeah. really has those rules and those boundaries for us because she knows that we get weakened by our fears. We get weakened when we're tired. We get weakened when we're um, overwhelmed, and make decisions that um, aren't good for us. So. Well, and we also aren't big fans of suffering. Oh, like, wait, you don't like suffering? No, not a fan. But, you know, <laughs> I'm still called to it every day. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Thriving in the Trenches. I have hope that it will have encouraged you in your journey and that you will know the love of God even more intimately. Please share this podcast with a friend on your social media pages or leave a review in iTunes. You are welcome to join me on our Instagram or Facebook group where we can grow in friendships. Thanks for coming. It's so much more than just a profile picture. At Catholic Singles, our platform offers you many opportunities to get to know the person behind the picture. Sign up today at catholicsingles.com. Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at caneford.com.